0: Well hello everyone and welcome to the Chiropractors Association of Australia podcast. The CAA is of course the peak body representing the chiropractic profession in this great country of ours and I'm your podcast host Anthony Coxon. Our CAA podcast will explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic both here and internationally. We'll be reviewing the latest research to see how we can continue to use evidence-based to drive clinical practice. We'll also explore a range of ways the chiropractors can strive for excellence in their practice and achieve the best possible outcomes for their patients and indeed their community. Now today's topic is the science of sitting, something that should be very familiar with chiropractors. And our special guest chiropractor uh, is Dr. Jeffrey Herbert. As you'll uh, hear from his accent uh, in just a few moments time, Jeffrey is originally from Detroit, Michigan in USA, and he's a graduate of Palmer College back in 1985. He immigrated to Australia in 1987. As well as a chiropractic degree, he's an NLP master practitioner. He's also the inventor and director of the bio- uh, Bionomic Seating Solutions. He's been in practice for about 32 years and also married to a chiropractor with uh, two lovely children. So, Geoffrey, welcome to the CAA podcast.
1: Thank you, Anthony.
0: Now, one of the reasons that I was excited about talking with you is that you're uh, in the process of doing some research into sitting. Um, so, of course, this is a topic that I would imagine, certainly I as a chiropractor, I'm speaking about this with patients day in, day out. And we've all heard the headline, sitting is the new smoking. Why is it that sitting so bad for you?
1: Uh, look, as you know, there's there's a lot of reasons other than, and, and probably the, the reason that 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 phrase has come out is it's more of a sedentary type aspect where, you know, if you sit all day, you can imagine what happens physiologically to your system and whatnot. And that is why they've kind of coined it or I should say, you know, use the analogy of it's like smoking. But the other thing that hasn't really come into into, I I guess, into it, into the the sitting industry is is the understanding of how the posturing uh, is detrimental. So from
0: how the, we posture
1: when we sit, you know, yeah. how you know, uh, how our bodies, you know, how, what the what are the physiological ramifications of sitting all day, apart from metabolic, what about physical?
0: Now, obviously there's the the more obvious issues, the mechanical ones such as increased incidence of low back pain. Uh, We know about the medical uh, issues about being sedentary in terms of uh, increased cardiovascular disease, uh, type two diabetes, certain types of cancer. Um, Can sitting affect work performance? Can employers be encouraged to look at how their employees are sitting in terms of increasing their output in the workplace?
1: Well, productivity has always been the main thing, you know, main, main focus of, of, uh, of sitting studies and whatnot. How is it? What are the emotional states of the, the occupants? What, uh, what about the productivity that actually happens with regards to sitting? What are the detriments to product productivity? And it's, it's danced around the issues for a long time. But one of the major things I've found in, in my understanding and also my research with regards to ergonomics is the way that they approach it, they're missing a big chunk. And the, the chunk that they're missing is that humans are geotropic. Right. And, and the main focus is how is it that things, or how do we do, and I know that, you know, how do we do gravity? What is the proprioceptive mechanisms that uh, we, you know, our bodies do in an effort to actually synergistically work within a gravitational environment? Towards homeostasis. I know that's a big line, but there's a huge understand. There's a lot of understandings of how we actually do that, and uh, and that's pretty much my focus all along.
0: Well, let's explore that idea a little bit further. Um, most of the, uh, I guess, uh, ergonomic studies and uh, things that have come out related to seating uh, look at redirecting gravitational forces you know preventing the loss of the lumbar lordosis when you seat uh so you know for example it wasn't that long ago where um certain you know low back supports or kneeling into a seated posture um was encouraged is this the way to go or is this proprioceptive model uh that you're talking about something completely different
1: well it's 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 look those were really good ideas at the time you know i mean it but human physiology and the understanding of human physiology has adan- you know advanced since then the kneeling seat- uh, seated posture was interesting because what it did is it still maintained it opened up the uh, torso to thigh angle which is something that is now uh, a given you know the 90 degree angle is is been now debunked as being a you know quite detrimental hence why there was all the bolsters the the lumbar supports and whatnot and how they actually came out but You know, you cannot redirect gravity. Gravity is, you know, it's straight down. One compressive, one atmosphere, compressive force. So, you know, lumbar supports were, they they helped, but they were not, you know, they didn't do an adequate job. Then we started opening up the thigh and torso angle to about 110 degrees that was the kneeling posture that did really well but it started driving forces down the actual femur so where the force started to actually shear was along the knee so the knees started getting a lot of damage because of it um there were various uh, chairs that tried to uh tilt you forward and then what you did is you sat back on a, a a A low density piece of foam and then you slid up against a hard density foam i mean they were again they were all trying to redirect uh, the gravitational force with limited effect
0: so i've uh, been uh, privileged enough to have a read through your draft paper and uh, there's a few terms in there that uh, were new to me maybe uh, this is something we could explore further for example uh, uh, the euler column formula Uh, you talk about primary respiration you talk about the triune pelvic Pedestral Syndrome. Um, perhaps you want to um, give our, our CA uh, podcast listeners uh, a little bit of a, a background on, on perhaps the, um, I guess, the physics behind uh, sitting?
1: Sure. All right, well, let's start off with the first first uh, given is humans are geotropic. all right, meaning that we grow uh, like everything else in a gravitational environment, so the objective of our neurology and our human physiology is to work in homeostatic physio, you know, physiological state with gravity. All right. So let's start with um, birth. So we we enter the world with one curvature, which is the you know, thoracic curve, and as the primary, or what should say, the autonomic uh, prime uh, proprioceptive mechanism starts to register the gravitational forces, it starts to recognize that. You know, one curvature isn't, isn't necessary. So, what it does is it starts to produce the secondary curves, which is lumbar and thoracic curve. If you look at it from a side view, once you've got the primary or the thoracic curve, the, the cervical curve, and the lumbar curve in alignment, the child stands. You know, we've all seen that at, at about 12 months old, the child starts to stand up, and, you know, everybody's proud of little Bobby's little fir, you know, his first step, so to speak. The reason that this actually happens is there is, you know, we've got senses, right? We've got the sight, sight, smell, touch, hearing, taste, but there's a sixth sense, and that is that proprioceptive element. That proprioceptive element has two components. One is voluntary proprioception, where we are in spatially in awareness, but there's the autonomic component, and that autonomic component is actually quite deep neurology. And the components are the, you know, the vestibular nuclear complex, the vestibular mechanism within the inner ear, the actual ocular muscles, and the cervical, uh, the first three cervical segments have all mechanoreceptors that are highly attuned, and this mechanism directs the development of these curvatures in an effort to, you know, be able to live within this one atmosphere compressive force. Now, so, let me see.
0: Now, just before you go on, uh, Jeffrey, there are concepts, I, I guess, that um, most chiropractors would be familiar with in terms of the development of the secondary curves and um, uh, the proprioceptive nature of the, of the spine and uh, vestibular apparatus, etc. How does that then uh, translate into, uh, into sitting?
1: Well, let me, let me go a little bit further. The Euler column formula, when you're talking about mechanical engineering, just to actually um, uh, fill this out. In When you're dealing with load-bearing systems, the primary curve is the thoracic system, is one load-bearing, is one load-bearing system, we'll call it, right? Yep. From the top of the, the neck down to the sacrum is one load-bearing system. The things that are important here are the effective length, which is the, 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 the distance between the cervical and the sacral segment, and the eccentric load, which is the distance from the gravitational line to the apex of the curve. The greater the effective length and the greater the eccentric load, the weaker the actual load system is. So the reason why the secondary curves are made is because what it divides the this this whole length, the spinal length, is into three load-bearing systems with a less effective length and a less eccentric load on each one of the curvatures, thus stabilizing the, the spine in one atmosphere compressive force. That's why the proprioceptive mechanism creates them. Secondarily is if you look at it, it's a spring. Yeah. All right, and that springiness allows for another system which is basically the primary respiratory mechanism. The primary respiratory mechanism is necessary because our brain, as we know, has three holes and in those holes are the ventricles. Those ventricles produce cerebral spinal fluid. This cerebral spinal fluid is produced about 750 mils a day. It lifts the, cranial, the brain off the cranial vault, and it flows around the brain down the posterior aspect of the spinal cord, pools into the sacral area, and then, due to inherent contractile elements within the immovability within the actual um, brain tissue itself, the, there is a flexion and extension motion that happens that pumps the fluid up and out into, you know, up through the rest of the actual um, central canal this is critical and the, the let me see the frequency of this is 12 to 16 times per minute it's essential for the health of the actual brain tissue and again this is the reason why this all develops in this one configuration now when you're dealing with sitting the very first thing when you're when you're sitting down the very first thing that sits that hits the actual chair base is the two issue bones when once that happens People have a tendency to rock backwards onto the coccyx, and what this does is it starts to alter the the gravitational line, and also starts to inhere, or I should say, interfere with primary respiration and this flexion-extension movement and the cerebral spinal fluid flow. This is all related within within the, uh, the central canal, and it starts to interfere and immobilize the spine and starts in uh, starts to create what is you know known as like a an inflammatory cascade where, you know, you start getting chronic muscle tension within the back, you get it in within the the spinal cord or column itself, you start getting the internal ischemia within the muscle structure, the inflammation starts growing, you get a fibrotic reaction, and you start to immobilize the spine. This, This immobilization is the critical mass point that starts to interfere with the human's ability to interact externally into the external environment. I know that's a long line, but that's a that's the sequence of events.
0: Let's break that up just so for, so I'm uh, clear on this, and uh, our listeners also. The Euler column formula is essentially saying that because we've got three curves, effectively three dynamic curves, that uh, that that that's three curves that are absorbing physical stress and gravitational forces rather than one. So, tick. We want to obviously support. Uh, those curves and maintain them the primary yeah. respiration for anyone who's done i guess uh, craniosacral work would be familiar with that but that's uh, uh people understand that the cerebrospinal fluid is a dynamic system and that flexion extension that you were uh, talking that gets inhibited if you uh, a, a shifting and correct me if I have misunderstood this if you're shifting your weight from your ischial tuberosities back onto your coccyx so they've got pressure on both ischial tuberosities pressure on the coccyx and is that the triune pelvic pedestral syndrome
1: exactly well you know you the two issue bones on the front and then the coccyx on the back and what that does is that strains the sacrum and the moment you start doing it, you start to actually inhibit the flexion extension of that but also the gravitational line starts moving anterior so you start rolling the shoulders and then i don't remember you would remember the um oh god what is it there's uh There's a chart where it's basically stating that, and it was Kelly's work, where if your head is uh, moved, let's say an inch forward, um, or two inches, or three inches forward, you know, rolling your shoulders, what it does is it increases the amount of um, muscle contraction, you know, let's say the, the, the head's 10 pounds. So you move it three inches forward, it starts, increasing the perceptibility of it you know at a 30, three, what 30 pounds per you know and then the muscle contraction actually has to um hold that over a long period of time and if we're sitting for long periods of time you can imagine the amount of inflammation and strain on the muscle structure itself and the ligaments
0: and i guess this is it it's that that static position uh that is indeed the problem i, I some time ago i did a a, a podcast interview um, for a Back Chat podcast interview, in fact, with a medical doctor and researcher, Dr. Margaret Beavis, and she was very keen on the idea of encouraging micro-movements as and making that a part of everyday uh, activity, so that uh, her her reason for this is that you know people might go to the gym and exercise an hour each day, but if you're on top of that sitting for uh, eight hours continuously, then... You're, you're very much undoing any kind of movement that you uh, could have done at the gym. And ways in which you can obviously get out of your chair, clearly that's a, a, the, the best way to do it. But is is movement in a chair good? Uh, are things like Swiss balls or um, air cushions uh, for, for sitting, are they helpful to, to, to reduce oh, those I mean, kind of
1: problems? I'm... I'm um... I was speaking to an ergonomist friend of mine up in in Brisbane, and uh, he sent me some details with regards to the Swiss balls. and he, he he found it very interesting that where the country from now this this is you know, again I'm paraphrasing from him, but where the country where they were invented, they're now banned because of the instability hmm. and the possible injury of people rolling off it and falling off it and whatnot. I mean, I mean, they they're they're, they're Fun. They're a fad. You bounce up and down, and and you know. But still, if you look at the when you sit down on them, if you've ever watched anybody from it, because I've done a lot of ergonomic assessments and I've actually seen uh, that type of stuff. Whereas they still sit with the knees at a ninety degree angle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at that thigh to trunk. Uh, angle is, is not still maintained at, you know, or it's not kept at, let's say, anywhere between 105 to 115 degrees, which is at this point in time, what is considered to be uh, optimal.
0: Now, you've just said something that's very interesting there, and that's very important. First of all, with regards to the Swiss ball, I also discourage them uh, in the workplace for the exact reasons that you've just said, that they become a, a danger because they roll away, people fall off them and so forth. I think they're great uh, as far as, as as rehab is concerned, but probably they belong in a controlled environment in the gym uh, and not in the workplace. But the angle uh, of the torso to the hip there. So we do understand that that ninety degrees is not ideal, but nope. one hundred and five to one hundred and fifteen is that the pretty much the accepted ideal angle for reducing stress. Pretty,
1: pretty much. I mean, it depends upon the size of the person, you know. But generally, that's what is accepted now as being, uh, you know, probably a, the best. You know the best practice.
0: So here's a question, a follow-up question from that. Does it is it going to uh, be different depending on your activity? For example, if you're working at your computer uh, as opposed to driving in your car, um, I can't I can't see many, or I've certainly never seen a car seat uh, that would allow for a 105 to 115
1: uh, angle. Yeah, it's contextual. You know, I mean, a car is uh, it, you know, it's almost more like a reclined. Uh, posture when you're sitting in a car. I mean, they've got some decent seats out there though. There's some, new, there's, I mean, some nice cars out there. And, and I mean, I actually had an opportunity to, to, to sit in a Ford, a, what was it, a Focus. And I was really impressed with the actual seat. Right. Know, I thought it was actually, it, it felt pretty good, but you know, when you sit in a car, you know, it, 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 it's a completely different context, you know, and, and it's really more of a reclined
0: type posture. And I guess this is the, the thing, isn't it? If you're, the back rest is going to be reclined far uh, further back because you're look, looking off into the horizon rather than looking forward to your work. So, because that's not vertical and further back, you could possibly still achieve, in that case, that 105 to 115 degrees
1: you can but what it is is the gravity is going you know you're still looking forward so what if you've actually seen somebody have a look at the way that their their head is because remember the the mechanism which controls our awareness of where we are is the vestibular nuclear complex and it takes its you know its uh its first chairs are the eyes you know, the uh, vestibular mechanism, middle ear, and the primary areas of uh, somatosensory area, right there, the first three cervical segments, those proprioceptive uh, elements are really, really critical in posture.
0: Okay, so let's talk, uh, what is uh, physiological efficient posture? What are we really going to look for in in, in a chair?
1: Well, all right, first things first, is you want something that's going to actually support The pelvis in a standing configuration, I mean, from my understanding and all the stuff that I've actually seen, there is this thought that standing is the most physiologically efficient. Yes and no. You know, I mean, it is because gravitationally everything comes straight through, let's say the center of the head, through the ear, through the shoulders, and the curvatures are maintained as best they can given the state of the organism itself um, when you're looking for a chair, you want something that's actually going to maintain the thigh, that angle and allow that angle. A lot of the the depths of the chairs these days, when you sit all the way back into it, they, they push the thigh upward. So getting past or getting that thigh angle is kind of difficult unless you move forward, which is another thing that you see quite often in the, um, uh in the offices is that you'll see women move forward and yeah. sit on the front aspect of their chair and with the knees below or cu- cupped underneath and then the back half of the chair isn't even used anymore the backrest isn't even used yeah um that is something that we've been able to actually solve uh through uh bionomic seating
0: so and you know, go ahead sorry go ahead go ahead uh, just so so what we're trying to achieve, and I guess following from this, just before we get into talking about your particular chair, uh, standing desks have become increasingly popular. Um, there's some obvious advantages for this. Uh, there's clearly some potential pitfalls here as well. Do you have a mm-hmm. comment on standing desks? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, I,
1: I don't want to say they're bad. Um, I don't want to say they're great. Um, I, you know, what I, what I am saying is that I believe personally, this is my personal opinion, is that it's, um, it's an overreaction to, uh, to the problems of sitting, you know, and yes, they, they've now said, okay, what we'll do is we'll go from, uh, 90 degrees and sitting down and everybody slunched at the desk to completely standing all day, you know, and, uh, and, you know, again, the pitfalls are fatigue. You know, leg fatigue, um, you know, problems with lower back. If somebody is hyperlordotic or whatnot, or, you know, yeah. when you sit down, the objective would be, you know, you've got the sway. I mean, the feet contact the floor when you're standing, and then you've got the, the, you know, the potential of sway and you've got, again, the fatigue of that. But when you sit down on the chair, the, for, again, the first things that you're sitting down on are they show tuberosities. So, um, you know, the, the most important thing, and I, I think I've, I've got a quote somewhere laying around with all these years I've been working on this is that the second most important piece of equipment in the office is the chair. The first is the occupant, right? And setting the equipment to the occupant, the person is the most important piece of equipment. So everything should work for it, and and again, work towards you know holding it in a, uh, a supported and minimal strained type posture. I know. Uh,
0: I know in my experience in uh, advising patients, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, is that particularly those uh, who have facet syndrome or, like you mentioned before, a hyperlodotic spine, uh, standing is possibly going to be worse uh, for Mm. them. Uh, Absolutely. But but certainly, um, you you know, it's about changing position. So what I encourage people to do is, uh, yes, great to have – standing desk but desk that you can have the option of sitting at as well and also just simple little things like having a foot rest where you can have one foot up and then the other so you're still keeping pelvis aligned and that you know that shopkeeper's hip where you pushed your hip out to the side doesn't become um a, a factor are, they, are those sort of the sort of things that you'd be recommending uh with patients also um the footrest
1: thing, you know, the, the funny thing I've I found with footrests is that what you'll find is they'll favor a foot. Right. Like yep. the right one or the left one. And you know what? It's always the side of PI. Okay. <laughs> you know, sure it's always, like. and the objective is to untorque the spinal canal. And they do it unconsciously, it's an, an unconscious process. Um, but, you know, personally, I think something in between, you yeah. know, and I, you know, and again, you know segueing into basically what binomic seating does is what it does is it it doesn't allow the rocking posterior or rocking back onto the coccyx so it still maintains the pelvic attitude in a standing configuration thus still facilitating the primary respiratory excursion which is the flexion extension of that and that is where you get that micro movement in and that flexion extension within the spine so that fatigue isn't there and then you've got a backrest that comes in and just is that back rest.
0: So you can be sitting in uh, the chair that you've designed all the way back and still have that slight uh, flexion in the pelvis that maintains the lordosis and has the hip, the anterior yeah. hip angle at that uh, critical 105 to 115
1: um, degrees. Yep. I mean, we've actually gone as far as to taking x-rays and also doing SEMG studies and finding some incredible results with it.
0: And, and I mean, mean, I've
1: mean i had. Yeah, you know, there's there's I, I had a gentleman once or I had a gentleman that was a year ago. His uh he had some orth, he had an orthopaedic surgery in his lower back and his orthopaedic surgeon recommended the chair and we sent it up to Townsville and it's the only thing he can sit in.
0: Fantastic. The uh do, with your chair, do you is it are you encouraged to sit all the way back always or is it uh will you move forward on the chair and that feel quite natural also? <laughs>
1: Well, it's almost like a cupping action. It it still maintains the the again that standing configuration because what it does is there are three sections to the chair. There's the front section, there's a middle section, and then there's a uh, the posterior aspect of it, which is angled, which supports the glutes and forces the um, the ischium. Uh, yeah, the ischium forward or the ischials forward so that it's in an upright configuration, still maintaining the S-curves and bringing that gravitational line through the ischial tuberosities as opposed to posterior or anterior.
0: So, uh, Jeffrey, to sum sum things up, um, what sort of uh, advice as a chiropractor are you giving your patients with regards to sitting? Uh, Look, make sure that the equipment works for
1: you you don't work for it you know it that, that is the the biggest thing when i go in and do ergonomic assessments is you walk in there and what's happened is they are actually having to adopt a posture to work within the cubicle or the the workstation itself as opposed to the equipment being set to them you know, and, and, and their own physiology, whether they're five foot or six foot seven, it doesn't matter. And the only thing, a good, interesting thing that I found actually is when you're talking about height, height difference, let's say you've got a woman who's four foot nine, and then you've got her husband who's six foot four, which I actually have as patients. Hmm. And they were able to use the chair because the excursion, it would drop all the way down Uh, to a point where it would allow the four foot foot nine woman to sit at her desk and work and then all they had to do was use a uh, an adjustable desk raise the desk up two inches it was only two inches the the change and then the chair bring the chair to work with their husband who was six foot four and that was one of the major things i found is that it's only two inches that's actually the distinction between short people and really, really tall people. It, it's not the, a desk that needs to be you know, two feet in, it, in it's up and down. It's just a matter of if you've got the proper seating, you've got the proper support, that's pretty much the only change that you really need to make other than screen height and, and whatnot.
0: Uh, well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. It's been uh, a great CA podcast and I really look forward to uh, reading your research sometime soon.
1: It's, uh, it's a work in progress.
0: Okay, very good. Uh, for our listeners, uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, a CAA podcasts are re- uh, produced every two weeks, so uh, watch out for uh, our next one. And uh, in the meantime, it's, uh, I'm signing off. This is Anthony Coxon, and we look forward to hearing from you again and speaking with you again at our next CAA podcast.